Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Hello, Tony Hackett is my name. I'm your host and welcome to the Startups Roundtable, where we speak with people in and around the startup ecosystem to learn and to be inspired. In this episode, Pencil Pay co-founder and CEO Tim Demetrio takes us inside the last 12 months and shares their challenges and successes. It does rely on data and generously Tim explains where he has gained the confidence to increasingly back his instincts to drive their growth agenda. So let's get started. Tim, it's great to be back with you again, and it's been a little while since we've spoken, a lot going on in the world. Maybe you could kick off by giving me a little bit of an introduction into how you're going as an organization, and and maybe over this last year, this COVID year, what might be a couple of the the big learnings that uh, you'd like to share? Yeah, cool. No problem. So I think if we start a year ago, if you look at where we were at in, say, April or May uh, 2020, we just finished our accelerator at the back end of 2019 with Startup Bootcamp. And at that stage, we had probably a couple of customers and we knew there was a problem and we just started collecting some payments. That's kind of where we're at at the time. We were working hard and all the rest of it. So from a tech perspective, um, we just completed some integration. We just got on some software partners like Unleashed and Deer Systems for you know the inventory side of things and Zero Mile QuickBooks. We had just been put into the app marketplaces. So that was framing it up how it was a year ago. But again, in saying that, we only had a few customers and we were doing a lot of testing and that type of thing. And I guess from where we were at then to where we're at now, a fair bit's happened. We've managed to, I guess, get ourselves from a startup to more of a scale-up by getting on a lot of customers and having those customers use it. So if you think about product market fit, I think that we are inching our way towards product market fit, which has been really good to see. We've managed to scale customers from five suppliers a year ago to 60 now, which is really good. We were able to raise a little bit of capital. We've raised a couple of hundred thousand all up. We've bootstrapped the rest and we're just about to commence another capital raise. So it's good. We've gone from a small startup with two people to a slightly bigger startup with four people. Has the problem statement changed for you? The whole idea of the problem, I guess, has been slightly amended, but the problem statement has gone not 360, but it's changed a lot. I think we tended to look at the problem a year ago as people are not getting paid on time, but we weren't looking at the root cause enough. And I think the root cause of everything is that suppliers are not credit providers. They do their very best to try and be credit providers because every single one of their customers wants trade credit. And if they don't provide it, they're going to go elsewhere. But in saying that, they're just not credit providers. They don't have the required systems internally to manage things like origination, recoveries, risk, underwriting. So that's really the problem statement now is that suppliers are not credit providers. That's an interesting angle on it. And I love the fact you use the word amend because it isn't a huge change, but it's just a a shift in the thinking or the emphasis. It also makes me think about focus and alignment. I know in the part of the tech industry that I work in, we're always trying to understand the business problem and bring that business problem understanding down to being very, very specific. It helps when we're working into industry verticals. Over this last 12 months, have you started to look at the industry verticals differently or maybe even getting different reaction from different verticals? 
Where we've managed to have the most success has really been breweries, distilleries, wine distributors, coffee roasters. FMCG has been pretty good for us. So any business that's selling um, physical products to hospitality venues, retailers, pharmacies, those type of businesses. And I guess the key things that they have is they're much more dynamic in nature than industries like construction or machinery and you know large-scale manufacturing, I guess. There's a huge amount of suppliers. It's very fragmented and they've got a much smaller ticket size. So you think about it, their billing is usually under $5,000 a month and it's much more frequent. Okay. So it's each week, fortnight, month, which I guess makes this, it makes those suppliers very susceptible to supplier hopping, which is where buyers shop around for suppliers who, who give them terms, but then they go and run up credit and move on to supplier number two or a competitive supplier without paying the bill. So that lower ticket size and the, that really fragmented supplier base means that suppliers kind of don't have the same resource to be able to devote as the larger construction companies would, which is really the key difference is that average bill size really drives the amount of resources that they can, I guess, give to be able to manage the onboarding and collections and that type of thing. And driving automation, everybody's searching for automation, trying to drive some cost efficiencies is one thing, but be able to sustain that over time, especially as you're saying these, these multiple transactions. When you look then at the, at the consumer and the consumer behavior, is there any trend that you're tracking to at the moment? When we talk about the consumer, I mean, our consumers, our consumer is, uh, are those small businesses, you know, what I mentioned before, the, the retailers, hospitality venues, and the, the pharmacies. And with consumers, I think there's been a massive shift that we've seen. And certainly we have, for example, Prosper are one of our partners and they keep us kind of abreast of the latest research that they do. And I think one of the key things that we've noticed, and they certainly noticed because we had a conversation about it recently, is that the trade credit sector is not decreasing. It's number one, it's increasing. But number two, there is a massive push towards prepayment and seven days as trading terms. So what's happening is the cash flow seems to be pretty good at the moment for a lot of businesses and the suppliers are aware of it. So a lot of suppliers are saying to these businesses, hey, come on board with us. for, And then for the first four weeks, I need you to pay COD or I need you to prepay for the accounts. At that stage, then you can revert back to going for 14-day accounts. However, what's happening is the payers, the buyers are getting into such a good rhythm prepaying and the ones that we work with obviously use our system to you know, tokenize the credit card or direct debit details at the very front end so they can process those payments later on. Now, as soon as those payments become due, which is as soon as they raise the invoice, we just charge them. And the actual end user, the retailer, pharmacy, et cetera, they love that because it gets them into a better buying rhythm and a much more constructive cash flow rhythm. Your site publishes a whole lot of really interesting information. I love the progress that I've tracked over the last year since we've spoken and we've met in between then and now. But the integration partners, I'm guessing, are becoming a bigger part or a more important part of your business as you're growing. Could you maybe speak to how you go to identify and, and when to stop looking for integration partners? I guess we've got two types of integration partners. The first is the actual software businesses themselves. And the second is the implementation, in the integration implementation partners, So, which is the, the referral partner network. So probably the main one we'll talk about is the software partners, which are the real integration partners. And we've got a really good relationship with all of them, but certainly Zero and Dia have been the two shining lights for us. We integrate with a number of different inventory systems and accounting systems, and also with Equifax for credit information, WooCommerce for e-commerce, as well. So we've got a nice span and each one has a, I guess, has a specific um, reason why it exists. Now, the key reasons why this integration exists with, say, Zero is to ensure that we can give automated payment processing and we can read invoices and we can fill information into them. The integrations like Dia and Unleashed 
will drag out trading terms. Integrations like Equifax will get credit information. So as you can tell, everything has its, has a different reason why we do it. And I think the amalgamation of all those reasons is really what makes us unique. You bring a lot of energy to your, your business. And, and when you speak, I get enthused having the conversation with you. Everyone's looking to take cost out, but everyone's looking to grow as well. Could you share what it's been like over the last year, tracking to growth and how you've been able to build and, and maintain momentum around your growth? We haven't put on any more. So actually, we've actually lost lost salespeople. So at the start, 12 months ago, we had myself and one other salesperson. That's it. Since then, we about nine months ago, the salesperson went and found a new job and it was left up to me. Since then, we've put on 50 suppliers. So we've quintupled our suppliers, increased by 500%. Now, you put that down to a couple of things, but I think a couple of the, the main reasons why we've been able to do that is our processes got better, our partnerships got stronger, and our organic reach got a hell of a lot better. So we, we've got a lot more reg- recognition and we started to get some inquiry just, just through us, which was good. And that's taken a couple of years to build up and a lot of blog articles and that type of thing. But I guess the core of it is the partnerships. We've got a couple of great partners. Integration Kings is one great partner that we've got up in Queensland and they're just they're spectacular. They give us a lot of referrals. And we work really closely with them to ensure that the you know the businesses have an amazing experience with us. Number one and number two, that they get everything that they need on an ongoing basis. I think one of the things that we one of the big shifts we made about seven months ago was when we started onboarding customers, we were tended to lose a few of them early on in the piece. Now, and that was just due to they didn't understand how to use it. So what we did, we made the call, Greg, my business partner, and I about seven months ago that we would focus on getting customers but keeping customers. And what we did was implemented a four-week training program at the start of each license throughout the free trial period. And at the end of that four weeks, the and it's 30 minutes per week for four weeks. So it's not a huge commitment. What we found was we've got a 96% retention rate since then. So we've only lost one customer out of the 45 to 50 that we've bought on since then. And everyone else has continued on with their license. And the best thing about it is they're using it. So when I say they're using it, they're logging in every single day, Monday to Friday, they're logged in every single day and they're performing actions and that type of thing, which is outstanding. I'm guessing that that close pulse that you get out of the that constant interaction, that gives you a view into creating a, a roadmap that's meaningful for your customers that you couldn't buy. It's spectacular. The, the feedback that we get just from communicating with customers has sustained us with work for the last year from a dev perspective. So if I think about it, we had grand plans 12 months ago of the stuff we wanted to build. We haven't had a chance to build any of it because we've been building for our customers. And that is, I mean, that is the, that's the panacea for a tech business. If you can just be building stuff that you're being told to build rather than having to create it, that really is the panacea and that's all we've been doing. And that is the reason why people are using it. They also feel like they've got a hand in the product, which is massive. So it's been all in all, it's an incredible, certainly 12 months, but absolutely the last six months for us has been great because we're starting to see two, two and a half years of toil turn into turn into things like revenue, which we didn't really have before. And now we're, our revenue is increasing by kind of 25% month on month for six months straight. So it's getting towards you know where we need to be at. Are you a different prioritizer now than you were a year ago? Absolutely. I think a year ago, we were still in the midst of creating partnerships. And our focus really was probably not on executing on those partnerships. It was more so creating a base. Now, I think that's important to do, but 
I also think that you need to get out there and sell. As a sales and marketing-driven founder, as opposed to a technology-driven founder, it's my job to go out and make sure the product's in the hands of people. And that, that drives everything else. It drives revenue. It drives feedback loop. So I think that the focus has been purely on getting as many customers using the thing and using it often as possible for me. And it's been for Greg about making sure the product is working perfectly for customers, making sure it's fast, making sure they can get the data they need and making sure that any changes are turned around relatively quickly. What's the biggest challenge in front of you for the next 6, 12 months that excites you? We're just about to enter a capital raise. So the next step is to grow the team. Now, that is a, it's always a daunting piece because you think to yourself, where do I need to grow first and where, you know, what people do I need to put on? We've managed to surround ourselves with some really high-quality people that um, have given us a lot of advice along the way and you have to pick and choose which advice you take, obviously. What we know is that building out a financial model as a starting point and working backwards from the type of people that you need to execute the strategies that you want to execute, I know that I just need more partnerships people that are high-quality partnerships people from a acquisition perspective, but even more high quality from a service and, and follow-up perspective. And Greg knows that he needs a bunch of full stack developers. We don't really need front end. That's not really our strong point and it doesn't need to be. Um, we need to make sure that the system works perfectly for the for the suppliers, users, and that our forms are bang on. So I think, yeah, the focus for us does need to be full stack developers and database developers. And for me, it's not about salespeople. It's about good quality ongoing partnerships. If you were able to wind back a year ago and take an experience you've had in the last year, what would you maybe have deviated a little bit from? Not necessarily flipped on, but what would be a to go to that lessons learned? Look, lessons learned, the biggest lesson that we've learned is trust our gut. And I know it sounds very corny, but 12 months ago, we hadn't really put up a huge amount of sales on the board, but we knew that we had a solution that was suitable for a certain portion of the market. And it was a matter of us getting the integrations and managing to get some partnerships before we were usable. Suppliers wouldn't use us until the integrations were in place. So that's completely understandable because it's very difficult to import and export data out of a system every two seconds. So the integrations were a key part of that and the partnerships were the second part. I wouldn't have done anything differently, but I think the biggest learning was to follow your gut and understand that stuff takes time. And from a, a pure growth perspective, what has changed in your strategy without giving away the intimate details, but how are you viewing strategy differently now than, than a year ago? Yeah, growth wise can take on a number of, you know, can take on a number of areas. If you think about if you think about pure customer growth, numbers of customers, it's quite straightforward. There's a calculation there. It's X amount of partners times X amount of conversation times Y amount of conversations equals Z amount of referrals. There really is the metric and each partner does need to be treated individually, but you only get out what you put in and you do have to build relationships and that's they have to trust you and they have to trust your product. So that's key there from a growth perspective. However, if we're talking growth from revenue, our platform, the way it works is we sell our license fee as well as ongoing payments. And the bulk of our revenue is done through payments. If you want to process payments, people have to be prepared to use your product. So from growth in SaaS, the key is to get users using. And users using means retention. So that's why we put in so much work with these suppliers to ensure that all their staff are using the platform and they are daily, which is awesome. And that's just completely changed our revenue. I mean, our the volume of payments that we process is going up by kind of 25, 28% a month. The total amount of payments is going up by the same. And it's in that nice, we're getting that nice linear growth and it's consistent now. And consistency really was what 
what we needed. And if we continue on this path, I think it will be where it needs to be based on our goalposts over the next three, six, nine, 12 months. Tim, the connection you have also to what matters most to a business is the thing that I find most exciting. People talk about stickiness. I think it's a very trite way of referencing attachment to customer. What I always think about is the way one of the major banks, they used to refer to what mattered most as their strategic assets, and they described it under three headings. One was help deliver customer service, deliver customer satisfaction, and difficult for a competitor to replicate. And when I think about generic cloud and as a service, then at one level, it's just at a business value. Where you're attaching to is at the strategic value, which is the systems that matter most to an organization. And that's what I think is really clever, the way that you've grown steadily but surely, not just the customer growth, but those relationships with the software vendors and the integration vendors. When you speak about people uh, being very reciprocated to you, that's because they're getting business value from you. That's that platform that is a solid platform. So I, I don't mean to stand here and, and speak to you about things that you know. I'm just sort of playing back to you how your story, which I heard a year ago into now, it's on this foundation that is connecting into what, what really matters most. Everyone's fighting for the payments business and you've been able to work out a way to bring value to specific people who are giving you feedback and you'll be helping their business. Our platform is a bit of a Trojan horse into the payments business because we sell ourselves and we certainly um, are focused on ensuring that the onboarding of credit applications and account applications, that is really our our wheelhouse and that's what we put all of that effort into. And a byproduct of that is collecting and tokenizing the credit card or direct debit details on the way in. And that really is almost a backdoor to payments for us because you get that weekly ongoing payment from the auto billing. So I appreciate that you said that. And I think the other thing that is really, really important is our business from a scalability perspective will be very reliant on our ability to strategically build out our network effect. I think that if you think about our business, you get one supplier comes on board and they bring, say, 500 buyers and those 500 buyers they each if they can we can get them to each bring a supplier that becomes 500 suppliers those 500 suppliers each bring say 25 signed up buyers you've got this enormous you got 60 50 60,000 buyers that are signed up on the platform that are processing transactions you know most of our buyers that that do transact on the platform they transact 1.98 times per month so you've got two transactions per month across 60 odd thousand buyers that are signed up you've pretty quickly got 120 you know, 120 odd thousand transactions. So we automatically see that scalability of the network effect. And the best part about it is it becomes useful not only for the supplier, but the buyer gets benefit as well. So it's not a one-sided platform. It's It allows both sides to be able to grow together confidently and properly rather than this constant where the buyer's got all of the, I guess, all the power in the relationship. And if they don't want to pay, they don't have to. It actually produces a pool of high quality buyers for a bunch of suppliers that want to give terms. So the actual societal effect of it is there as well. It's not just a supplier getting theirs. You talk about the network effect. It's also a very robust supply chain that no one wants to pull that kaplunk stick out of to collapse. I'm guessing you've got data there that, that allows you, you probably have as good a pulse on the nation right now based on the data going through your system. And that's a pretty incredible point to be building your future development and your future engagement. Absolutely. Look, one of the things that we haven't spoken about is what we do under the surface in the platform. So from the very start, we knew that this would be the kind of the end game as far as as a unique piece of technology is concerned. So the fact that we integrate with each of the supplier's accounting software means that we get an entire trading history from every supplier with every one of their customers. Alone, that's useless. I mean, it's useful to the supplier, 
but alone, it's not a piece of information that is too appealing. However, aggregated with all of the other suppliers, you start to get a really nice view of how a retailer trades with multiple suppliers. And because we have focused on certain verticals, we've got about 10 breweries on the platform, 10 craft breweries on the platform, got a bunch of wine distributors, a bunch of distilleries. So you start to think about them, they all share the same customers. So we get a view of exactly the, the credit situation and the adherence to to trade credit that a retailer has with any number of suppliers. Some of our retailers have got you know five and six suppliers on the platform. So we get an aggregated view of all of their credit limits, their credit balances, and the amount of invoices outstanding, which has been available from a consumer perspective for a long time, but hasn't really been available from a B2B perspective. It's a cracking story, Tim. And I must say, when we first met a year ago, I was so excited to, to hear your story and to, to see where you're up to right now. It's, it's just brilliant. And I'm going to keep knocking on your door to, to keep getting an update because it's uh, it not only is it worth tracking, I learn every time I speak with you and I really appreciate you having taken the time today. So thanks for joining me again on the podcast. No, my pleasure. Thanks again, mate. And thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and feedback is always appreciated. Also, if you would like to suggest a future guest, please let me know. But that's it for today. Thanks for listening and bye for now.